Good. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. And we're going to get into God's Word this morning. And um, I, I just uh, one heads up as we get into this. I'm not going to refer, there's a lot of cross references on the outline. I'm not going to be referring to all of them. And so I do hope that you'll be able to take uh, some time, maybe this afternoon, and look through them and. and um, You'll see how they apply to each of the each of the points that we're talking about this morning. Well, when we talk about end times, which we're that's our subject here, as we look at Mark thirteen, there's usually a lot of interest. People like uh, hearing about end times and and when they think when people think that Jesus is coming back, uh, they love that. I find that's a pretty uh, important topic for people who are believers and even for people who are not believers. They, they love to hear about it. Um, and I hope that it, 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 that discussion with unbelievers brings them to faith. But uh, we do believe that Jesus is going to return. Um, amen. I can't wait. I, I would, wouldn't it be wonderful if it was right now? Uh, I, like, yeah, um, I'd love that. A lady named Leela Morris wrote more than a thousand hymns that we have. And I read one of her hymns this week, and I couldn't help but think or wonder if she got some of her ideas from Mark 13. And it was a, 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 it's a really an encouraging hymn, but here are some of the words for it. Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? Coming in power and love to reign. What if it were today? Coming to claim his chosen bride. That's us. The church, all the redeemed and purified. Over this whole earth scattered wide, what if it were today? Faithful and true, would he find us here if he should come today? Watching in gladness and not in fear if he should come today. Glory, glory, joy to my heart will bring Glory, glory, when we shall crown him king. Man, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. So if he came today, are you ready? Really ready? Do you know that you're right with God? You ready for him to come? You know, Jesus has some very specific things in mind when he talks to his disciples uh, in Mark 13. And uh, that's what we're going to look at. So at the top of the outline, it says this. The believers who first read Mark's gospel were being persecuted. They were being tempted to give up and to compromise their witness. So Mark 13 and the parallel passages in the other gospels is known as the little apocalypse, uh, future things, the return of Christ. It's rich with prophetic language and many verses have allusions to the Old Testament Jesus says the end of Jerusalem and the temple is actually a foreshadowing of the second coming of Christ. So the question we're looking at this morning is what was Jesus really trying or most trying to communicate to his disciples in Mark chapter 13? When Jesus talks about the future, his words, and, and, and here's maybe the, the one takeaway from this this morning, I hope. His words are meant to change the way we live in the present. 
They're meant to change the way we live right now. And so that ultimately, uh, it, it'll get us out of earth uh, that will burn up and into heaven. And maybe we can think of earth as a training ground for heaven. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but maybe that's the best way to think about our time here on earth, is that it's a training ground. I think it's interesting that Jesus uses 19 imperatives in Mark chapter 13 as he is uh, preparing his disciples for his return. Um, I thought 19 points for a sermon might be too many, so I thought I'd boil it down to four. So uh, the sermon begins with Jesus telling the disciples that the Romans are going to destroy the temple, but also gives us some principles that we can apply to our lives today. Um, Some of the events in this chapter have already occurred. They've already been, they've already happened. Uh, Some of them are going to happen in the future. And some of them have been fulfilled, but there's a more complete fulfillment coming. And it's interesting because when you read commentators, they don't all agree on, on, when, on which verses fall into those three categories. Um, all that to say, and this is on your outline, that we must approach every prophecy, uh, like Mark chapter 13 as a whole, with humility with humility, and a willingness to admit that that we don't know everything. Jesus wanted to give his disciples and us four very important exhortations. So the first one, number one on your outline, is to keep our eyes on Jesus. So let's look at the first five verses. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what, a, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled. And Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. So we're gonna stop there. And I'll say too that we're not gonna read every verse in Mark chapter 13, but we're gonna look at the most important ones and I hope that you'll read it on your own uh, maybe later this afternoon uh, while you're watching football or something. So Um, the beautiful temple would be destroyed. And then in verse three, we have these four disciples that say, okay, what are the signs? What should we be looking for before these terrible things happen? Uh, And this is also on your outline. Jesus' greatest concern was that his people are not deceived by false Christs. Uh, Again, verse five, watch out that no one deceives you. And so he could point out the false signs that he could, that could lead them astray. So let's pick it up at verse six. So count them with me, okay? Here's the first one. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. Here's the second one. Uh, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Here's the third one. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And then number four, there will be earthquakes in various places. Number five, and famines. 
these are the beginning of birth pains. First uh, John chapter two, verse 18 describes the parade of false Christs who will come prior to the final false Christ. Uh, John writes in first John two, uh, children, it is the last hour and you, as you have heard, antichrist is coming. Even now many antichrists have come. The Antichrist is called the man of lawlessness in other passages. This is the only place actually that he's referred to as the Antichrist. Um, And so uh, broadly, an Antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus Christ is Lord. They're against Christ, they're Antichrist. And it's someone who is more specifically actively working to be contrary to God's will. So the exhortation for us is to look at Jesus and keep our eyes on him and not on the signs. We should be aware of the signs, but we don't keep our eyes on the signs. We don't focus on that. Look at Philippians chapter three, um, or I'll read it to us, but the, the reference is in chapter three of Philippians, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. So we're to transfer our citizenship to heaven now. This doesn't happen when we die. This this doesn't happen at the return of Christ. This happens now. And so are you working now to promote heaven's interests. Is your citizenship in heaven now? Are you aware of that? We want you to be aware of that. God wants you to be aware of that. That's what Paul was saying. Maybe you've struggled with pain in this life of whatever kind, physical, emotional, mental, relational, all kinds of pain or physical limitations or disabilities. We all struggle with these things. Our hope should be that that Jesus is coming back and we will be made whole. That's something to rejoice in. Uh, All of these things that happen in these verses, Jesus warns us of false teaching. And he warns us of of social pressure and natural catastrophes. And so it's, it's normal to think that when those things arrive, that Jesus must be coming back. That the, the, when we experience him personally, and that's been true in the history of the world. People experience something personally or as a culture, and they say, wow, you know what? Jesus must be coming back soon, immediately. I remember being in Russia. This is before the fall of the Berlin Wall. And some friends and I had taken Bibles in uh, when we're not, we weren't supposed to, but we took Bibles in and gave them to um, some pastors and, and teachers in the Ukraine. A lot of the Bibles were taken from us, but not all of them. But we gave them to, to pastors that we met in Kiev, now part of the Ukraine, and in, in Moscow. And they were so thankful. And they said, we know Jesus is coming back soon. He must be coming back soon. And, I, and for, we have it so comfortable here. But we forget about our brothers and sisters around the world, most of whom are not living comfortably like we are. And so Jesus is coming back. Um, The truth is that every time there's a war, every time there's an earthquake, 
there are an increase in false Christs saying that they have the answer. And that's the result of living in a fallen world. All those things that happen, the, the wars and earthquakes. and it, We live in a fallen world. And as a result of man's sin, this will continue until the end of time. And again, verse 5, watch out that no one deceives you. Uh, you know, maybe some of you can relate to this. I, I sure can growing up in the Midwest where we had horrible thunderstorms. There have been times where the rain was coming down so thick I couldn't see anything. And so I would pull over the side of the road and just wait. And that's happened a, a bunch of times uh, to me when I lived in, in Kansas. Um, I read about a woman who encountered the most severe thunderstorm she had ever encountered. She said she could hardly see. She was driving. She said it didn't even feel safe to pull over. It didn't feel safe to stop and let her husband drive, who was right next to her. She just kept driving. She was behind an 18-wheeler, and she said the, the, she described the road like a river. She said it was unbelievable. And so she was following this 18-wheeler because the 18-wheeler seemed to be almost splitting the water for her so she could follow. She was following close behind. Sometimes she, it was, the rain was coming down so hard, she would lose sight of the taillights, the brake lights of, of the 18-wheeler. Of the but it, the 18-wheeler must have known that she was following because he would put on his blinkers anytime he had to slow down. And so he was warning her that, that, that he needed to slow down. And so they kept following super close until he pulled off to go to a, a, a gas stop or something. And they pulled off behind him. And the husband jumped out and said, thank you so much for allowing us to follow you, for putting your flashers on when you needed to. And, um, and, and he just said, man, we couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much. And he said, well, you have, of course, I was glad to do it. And I hope that somebody would do that uh, for, you know, for my sister or mother or whatever, just like I did it for you. Um, but that's the way we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Focused, like just dead focused on him. And what he says and obey him and, and follow what he says to do. And not worry about the signs. We should be aware of the signs. We should, we should hope and long for Jesus to come back. But we, at the same time, need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so now that Jesus has warned his disciples about what would be happening in the world, he tells them about what would happen to them personally, starting in verse 9. Uh, and so number two is to be bold to share the gospel. Verse nine starts, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogue. He's saying persecution will come to you. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And so we will have opportunities to preach the gospel. The closer we get to the end times, the more opportunities you and I will have to preach the gospel to people. And we have to be bold when we have those openings. Jesus is telling us, and this is on your outline, not to be afraid to tell people the good news and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. And that he wants to be their Savior and Lord as well. My guess is that you're like me and there have been times when, when you've experienced the Holy Spirit's power when you have stepped out in faith. And that's uh, to be uncomfortable. 
that's something that, that, that's uncomfortable for us. We step out, we do something, and, and, and it's, it's then that we feel like that's when we experience the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus said he would send a comforter. And who is that comforter? It's the Holy Spirit. But we don't need a comforter if we're always comfortable. And so we need to get uncomfortable and do something that's out of our comfort zone. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations, it says in verse 10. And the word nations is ethnos or people groups. And I guess we could say that as one local church, we're doing our part uh, to speed up the Lord's return by sending missionaries out to these unreached people language groups. And I think that's important. But Jesus is saying that in spite of all that Satan does, God's word shall be proclaimed and, and, and will be accomplished. His will will be accomplished. And then look at verse 11. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do, so he's assuming they're going to be arrested. He's assuming that they're going to be brought to trial. And, and he says, do not worry beforehand about what to say and that would sure be out of your comfort zone. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. You know, you're going to be in situations, I think we all have been, I have been, I'm guessing you have been. If you haven't been, I hope you will be in situations where you don't know what to say. And you can rely on the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say at that time. And, and maybe you read your Bible. Maybe you come to church and maybe you go to your small group and you think, you know, I see God using other people. Why doesn't God use me? And I think it's because we get in all of these comfortable Christian environments and we forget that when God shows up, uh, he shows up in a powerful, when, when he shows up in a powerful way in scripture, it really happens when people are out serving and that's why we want you, that's why we try to give you opportunities to serve. That's why we encourage you always to get involved in some ministry where you're, hopefully, where you're at least a little bit stepping out of your comfort zone. Because that's when the Holy Spirit comes and you feel his strength and power. And you can say, okay, this makes sense. I'll give you an example. In Acts chapter 4. Peter and John heal a guy and the authorities say, we have to stop this because we don't want this message about Christ spreading. And so uh, Peter and John don't stop and they get arrested. And then they still don't stop even when they're in prison and they eventually get released. And Acts 4.13 says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they, that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was speaking through them. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So back to point number one, keep your eyes on Jesus and follow him. And what's the response of the people? In verse 13, in, 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 in Mark chapter 13, it says, everyone will hate you. Everyone will hate you. Jesus' disciples understood what it was like to be hated passionately, with passion. And the radical commitment that the gospel requires of us, you know, I'm guessing all of you by experience, that it can upset close relationships. Uh, announce your conversion in a Muslim country. 
Announce your conversion in a communist country. Announce your conversion maybe to your own family and friends. What happens? It can take on a terrible reality. Jesus said in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It hated me. Jesus said this, in, uh, or Tim, Paul reminded Timothy of the same thing in, in 2 Timothy 3. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Hear that again. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we shouldn't be surprised when it comes. We should expect it. Verse 13 ends with these words, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. In other words, true faith is always proved by faithfulness to the end. There was a U.S. senator uh, who was visiting a a Christian home uh, in a a very poor country uh, who focused on uh, helping children who were going to die. Uh, They had cancer, they had malnutrition that was extreme or something. And the senator asked one of the workers this question, how could you, can you bear the load of what you're doing without being crushed by it? Because that would be so crushing, it would be so sad to work in that environment. And the worker said, God didn't call us to be successful, he called us to be faithful. That's what God calls you to be and me to be is faithful. True believers keep on going through thick and thin. Uh, One of my prayers for myself that I think we could all pray for ourselves is to finish well. And so finish well. Pray that for yourself to be able to finish, make it to the end well. In verses 14 to 27, there are allusions to, I think, seven different prophets. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Zephaniah, the the list goes on. Um, But the emphasis here is on the reader, and this is number three, to know what the scriptures teach. That's number three. Know what the scriptures teach. There are so many counterfeits out there They're only going to increase in number. I I heard one day that there's a new cult that starts every day. A cult is just a deviation from orthodoxy, uh, the orthodox faith of us as Christians in the word. And so it's a deviation from that. Look at verse 22. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So the question is, how do you not get led astray? How do we know if something is a counterfeit? Well, we study the real thing. We study the word of God. We know the word of God. When we know the word of God well, when we, we, we can see a counterfeit from a mile away, a counterfeit or maybe a half mile away, but sometimes we'll see the counterfeit because we know what the true thing is about. And so, um, and this is why it's important, and this is also on your outline, to not be ignorant, but to know what the word of God says. 
So, you know, I feel like I say it all the time, but it's, 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 we've got to say it. You've got to know your Bible. You've got to memorize it. Memorize the verses that you love. Start there. Memorize those verses. Uh, uh, be in a small group with other believers where you can encourage each other uh, and, and study the word together. Uh, meditate on the word. Memorize it. Meditate on it. And most importantly, apply it to your life. Um, and then finally, and number four, focus on building our character. Focus, number four, focus on building our character. So let's pick it up at verse 33. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, Keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So what does it mean to watch? Well, the word watch means to have the alertness of a guard at night. Now think about that. If, if a daytime guard can see danger coming from a distance, they can see it because they've got the light. Everything is different at night. At night, you can't just rely on your sight. You have to rely on your hearing. You have to rely on, on sensing it. You just have to, to your other senses. Often at night, you don't know if an attack is coming until it's right on top of you. And so you have to be hyper alert at night. And this is the type of watching that Jesus is talking about here, being hyper alert. Um, So on your outline, you have this. What's important is not to be careless. Not to be careless. And yes, we, we watch our calendar but not to look for dates. We don't just, we're not just, we're not focused on the calendar, but we focus on who we are before God. Who am I before God? Do I have a pure heart? Am I seeking after God? We focus on who we are in Christ before God. So when will the second coming take place? Look at verse 32. Jesus said, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So don't try to predict when Jesus is coming back. Don't say, I know he's coming in my lifetime. You don't know that. Uh, You can hope that. That's fair to hope. You don't know. And, And avoid those who engage in that kind of wild speculation. It's irresponsible. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's irresponsible. I remember not that many years ago, some guy took out billboards here in San Diego. Remember that? And started announcing when Jesus is coming back. And I'm like, oh man, it's just, it's, it's, it's not good. It just gives the church a black eye. It's what it does. We don't want it or we don't need anyone to get caught up in that. 
So you've got this on your outline. There are only two things that the Bible says we can be sure about the second coming. And only two things. Number one, it's definitely going to happen. And number two, there's absolutely no way at all to predict when. So we're not supposed to know. No angel even knows. Jesus knows the time of his return now because he's in his glorified body with the Father. But he didn't know when he was on earth in order to keep the integrity of the incarnation. But he knows now. Let's say someone is, is, uh, for the sake of of this example, let's say someone's in their 90s. and, uh, and they're not, it's, it's not healthy for them to be thinking all the time, I might die tomorrow. On the other hand, they should be thinking, I might die tomorrow. There's a balance there. It can't be all one or all the other. And it's the same with the second coming. And this is from C.S. Lewis. He's the one that... that that talks about this, but, but it, it's not healthy for us to be preoccupied with Jesus' return and to keep our eyes on the calendar all the time. When's he coming back? Trying to figure it out. But we hope for it, we long for it, but at the same time, uh, at least we don't try to find a date, okay? On the other hand, we should long for Jesus to return. Even if it's today, we should long for his return. But but here's what's most important. We we have to let that knowledge transform the way we live our lives right now. How do we do that? Well, I think there are a few ways that the second coming can transform our lives. And these aren't on the outline, okay? These are free. Um, Number one, the person who wants justice, who's really concerned about justice in the world, wants the second coming. Because when the second coming comes, there will be justice. Justice will fill the earth. And, and, and maybe we're too comfortable to long for it. That's what scares me for us as Americans. We're too comfortable here to long for it. When we think of the people in the world, like that guy that I met in Russia, he was like, man, we want Jesus to come back so badly. This guy just lost his job. He said, I was put out of my job at the university because I'm a Christian. We forget that most of our our brothers and sisters in the world are suffering because life is so hard for them. They long for Jesus to come back. We need to pray for that kind of longing for ourselves. Another thing, and this is the second one, is is the, the second coming should be a force for personal integrity for all of us. It should be a source of personal integrity, a force for it. That, that, that means that, that we can never justify doing something bad for a good end. Because what if Jesus comes back in the midst of the bad before we get to the good? Then we're busted. And we don't want to be busted by the Lord. And a third way is that the thought of the second coming can change you, is to help you be able to forgive others. Man, I know if if you're like me, that sometimes it's just hard to forgive people. It's hard to let it go. It's hard not to be bitter. Uh, 
When someone wrongs us, we love to sit in the judgment seat. And we love to say, uh, you know what, this is, is how they blew it. This is, we know exactly what they deserve. But here's the thing, if we stay bitter and refuse to forgive someone, it hurts us. It distorts us. It's like Frederick Beekner says, you know, you're enjoying this delectable dinner and then you realize what you're eating. And this is how he describes bitterness and unforgiveness. What you're eating is yourself. You're, you're wolfing down yourself when you get bitter, when you won't let that go. Bitterness blinds us to who someone really is. The knowledge of the second coming is powerful to remind us that only God deserves to be the judge. Only he deserves to be the judge. Only God has the knowledge that's needed to know what someone has really been through themselves and what they really deserve. Maybe they deserve worse than what you want to give them. Maybe they don't deserve it. But God knows. But the doctrine of the second coming means that someday God will put everything right. There will be justice throughout the world. He will. And you won't. So let God be the judge. So forgive people. Let it go. That sounds like a song. Um, I can forgive and I can make peace with a situation because I know that God is the perfect judge. I know that Jesus is coming back and I can leave whatever I'm struggling with, whoever I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time forgiving, in his hands. And so this is on your outline. Our duty is to be aware of what's going on around us and to be, but to be alert and to focus on being Christ-like, to focus on the image of Christ. The doctrine of the second coming is a very important part of the teaching of Christianity. It's in our Apostles' Creed. He will come to judge the living and the dead. But it's mentioned 300 times in the New Testament. 300 times the second coming is talked about. That's one out of every 13 verses. Jesus says he's coming back over and over and over again. Martin Luther famously had, uh, had said, said this. He said, I have two days on my calendar. Today and that day. Do we live like that? I, I think it may be an insight into how God uh, sees time now too. And I, I rush about, I get impatient. And I'm looking at my phone, at the calendar, what's coming up next uh, we live by the clock. We live by appointments. We live by our, our, our phones. But God looks at heaven's calendar and right now and every day of my life and your life, ever since Jesus came to earth for the first time, like he promised his calendar, just says today. That's all we have. We need to see it from God's perspective. In fact, we could say that believing in the second coming is an important part of what it means to be a Christian. But you have to think about it. You have to ha let it have an impact on how you live your life. That's how it leads to integrity. So I want to go back and look at verses 24 and 25. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened 
and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies be shaken. Okay, so this is a little hyperbole, but you know, we love the biblical description of, the, of Jesus' first coming. Uh, soft and gentle, little baby in a manger, star in the sky. Jesus is so vulnerable. We have a lot more trouble with the biblical description of the second coming. It's more shocking. It's exactly the opposite of Jesus' first coming. Instead of a star in the sky, what do we have here in verse 25? The star's falling out of the sky. Jesus sure doesn't look like a baby here. On the cross, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It seems like judgment day that day came down on Jesus. Think about it this way. On the cross, Jesus experienced not the infinite healing presence of God, but the devastating absence of God. That's what he experienced on the cross. At Christmas, Jesus' first coming, he brought light, but he came to take judgment on himself. At his first coming, he gets the absence of God in our place. He gets rejection. He gets death. And then darkness came down on him when he was on the cross. He paid our penalty. Why? So that we can get the love of God and the light of God and the presence of God through his Holy Spirit. In other words, the great judge of the universe was willing to leave his throne and the judgment seat and take our judgment for us. Think about that. Does that not blow your mind? The judge leaves his judgment seat and he takes judgment for us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And here's what that means. To become a Christian, then I say, I am the one who deserves judgment. And and so thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending Jesus to take my judgment. Thank you for the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. And I stand before you, God, only by your grace. The Heidelberg Catechism comes in question and answer form. And question number 52 says, uh, what comfort is it to you that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? And the answer in the Heidelberg Confession is that in all afflictions and persecutions, with uplifted head, I may wait for the judge from heaven who has already offered himself to the judgment of God for me and has taken away for me all curse. So I want you to long for the second coming. And most of all, I want you to know that Jesus the judge left his judgment seat to take the judgment you deserve so that you could have eternal life in him. Let's pray. Father, we know that when you come into our life, 
There will be a desire for your justice. There will be integrity in the way we live our lives. There will be the ability to forgive others. And there will also be endless hope. Thank you that you didn't just come once, but you are coming twice. But your second coming is something we can just long for because we know that what you did at your first coming was so, is so important. You're waiting for others. You're patient toward us, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We long for the moment, Father, in, in when we can stand before you and have all death in us burn away, all disease, all weakness, all selfishness, everything that's wrong about us and twisted, burn away before your ultimate light and your presence. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to apply this to our lives. We ask that you would make us the people who don't just believe it, but live it out. Because everyone around us will be blessed by us if we do that. And, and would begin to long for the light we see now only by faith. Thank you, Lord, that you would grant us that. And we, we pray that. And, and we pray that you would, again, help us apply it to our lives by your Holy Spirit. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So now may the God of peace equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you the Holy Spirit through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen.